Now, I know Alicia says she hates my music, but how often, how often do you get a mandolin in church, sincerely? You don't often see a mandolin in church. So our song today was called The 21st of May. That band is a band called Nickel Creek. It's a trio that has been together. Uh, that was from their 2014 album, A Dotted Line, which was released uh, right at the 25th anniversary of them playing together. Uh, which was five years ago. That video was from five years ago. So they've been playing together 30 years now. And as you could tell by looking at them, except for the guy playing the upright bass, a lot of them are pretty young. Uh, they've been playing together since they're about seven or eight, uh, since they met in a mandolin practice. Like, like their parents wanted them to learn the mandolin, from what I understand. Uh, but uh, the guy playing the mandolin's name is Chris uh, Thiele. Uh, the violinist is Sarah Watkins, and the guy playing the guitar that was singing that song, that's her brother, Sean Watkins. Uh, so they've been playing together basically their whole lives. And of course, this song, based off of the name and the fact that they said it a hundred times, is about the 21st of May. But not just any 21st of May, the 21st of May, 2011. Does anybody remember 2011 and why the 21st of May might be an important day? Nobody? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> they were predicting the end of it. Look at that. There you go. See, that's, you had it figured out. That's exactly what it was. Uh, you uh, probably saw, um, what's that? Oh, she the predicting the end of the world. You probably saw uh, a, a whole bunch of billboards uh, because they said, hey, the 21st of May is the, uh, the, the end of the world. Be right with God because that's... The rapture is coming, basically. Uh, there was over 2,000 billboards across the continental United States uh, that claimed that this specific day was the day that Jesus was returning. Um, not just any day. It didn't even just say, hey, sometime in 2011. It specifically said May 21st. Uh, you could probably spot those um, billboards uh, around town. I remember there was one on I-55 uh, just south of Hernando. Uh, there was one on I-40 at Appling that I passed all the time. And so it's kind of ingrained in my memory, seeing that and groaning every time I passed it. It was kind of a flash in the pan, but it was a, a, a big deal. There was a lot of people wrapped up in this assumption that this day was going to be the day. Uh, and this declaration came from a guy named Harold Camping, who was the president of Family Radio. Uh, and Camping claimed that he came to this date by looking at the numbers in Scripture. Uh, he discovered in the 70s, he said, when the exact date of Noah's flood was, uh, which I don't know how he got that information. That's, he, he's reading a different Bible than me. Um, but he said because of that information and because of Genesis 7-4, which said for seven days from now I will send rain to the earth, and also 2 Peter 3-8 that said, with the Lord, a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years are as a day. So he said, I already know what day the flood happened. And this just told me that 7,000 years later, God's sending more rain. So that must be the day. And that day, in 1994, he said it was in 1994. When that, he said, oh, I got the math wrong. It's 2011. Uh, and so May 21st, 2011, uh, at 6 p.m. local time, he said, because he said the rapture would follow the time zones. And it would be, he said it would be a rapture mixed with earthquakes. So literally like one big earthquake that just went across the whole world. Um, but of course, 6 p.m. May 21st, 2011 came and went. 
And as far as I'm aware, no one was raptured. Uh, and there were no earthquakes of note on that day. So all those billboards were for naught. The song we listen to is from Camping's perspective before that fateful day. Of course, when we hear something like this, we have history, centuries of Christian music that functions as kind of a backdrop, and you can kind of hear some of the, uh, the, the influences. And that's part of the reason we sang I'll Fly Away this morning, because you can almost hear a little bit of I'll Fly Away in that song. But this isn't just singing I'll Fly Away, as much as it's singing I'll Fly Away Tomorrow. It's that movement of hope to certainty that this song sings of, and it catches it so well, and that's why I wanted to talk about it today. You see, this event, or rather lack of an event, on May 21st, 2011, was such a big deal because one man became certain of something and convinced a whole bunch of people of it. I've talked about the dangers of making faith a place of certainty numerous times from this pulpit, and I won't stop talking about it because it's such a common problem. I honestly believe it's one of the biggest dangers of understanding God in this day and age. I don't know about you all, but for me, my faith, my faith experience, especially when I was younger, was going from faith leader to faith leader, from, from author to author, from pastor to pastor, of folks saying, yeah, that guy was wrong, but I'm going to tell you this with certainty. Often these things aren't even about what God is like. They aren't even about the, the teachings of Jesus, but they're about things like evolution and the age of the earth and about the way the ark worked and all these things. But of course, each time we internalize one of these certainties, our faith becomes even more like a, like a house of cards. You know, and you're bored and you're taking the cards and leaning them up against each other and you have tower after tower, if you're good at it. I've never been able to get more than like, like eight inches off the ground. Um, but, you know, it's such a precarious thing. It's such a thing that, you know, one bump, and especially if you live in my house, bumps happen often. Uh, <laughs> one bump can bring the whole thing towering down. God forbid somebody pulls one of the cards out from underneath, right? But so often, if we let these certainties become our understanding of faith, that's when this house of cards gets built. And it doesn't take long. It doesn't take anything, really for somebody to come by and yank one of those cards out from under us. I can't imagine the feeling these folks who bought in to camping's lessons. Is that the Jetsons? <laughs> I hadn't heard the Jetsons in such a long time. There we go. That's a good one. That's a really good ringtone. Um, but I can't imagine how these people must have felt on the 22nd. I can't imagine how distraught you have to be to buy into something because most of these billboards around the U.S., they weren't paid for by family radio. They were paid for by people that believed them. They were paid for by people. I read one interview when I was preparing for this of a guy who uh, installed two of them with his own money in North Carolina saying, I'm not going to need the money. And how can I know this and not share it with people? I can't imagine the hit their faith must have taken on that morning. Well, I say that I can't imagine it, but I've been in positions like that. I might not have expected to disappear, but I expected to understand so much that the Bible does not talk about, but I was told that it did. 
And when I realized that maybe the earth is older than 6,000 years, maybe you can't fit that many animals into, into a boat, maybe migration patterns would make it impossible for kangaroos to get to Australia from that boat without leaving dead kangaroos everywhere. Uh, when I come to realize some of this is when so much of my faith took a hit in my early childhood or early adulthood, I guess you could say. I wasn't eight when I had these problems. I was 18. That's a big difference. But um, it's easy for us to fall into these traps, but it's also easy for the folks who are espousing these thoughts to fall into these traps. Because if anybody got tricked by this more than, if anybody got tricked by this the most, it was Harold Camping. It was the guy who was saying it. I read a quote from him today when asked about the prediction before May 21st. He said, I know it's absolutely true because the Bible is always absolutely true. And just the fact that he had already equated his decent algebra with scripture and put those things together, he'd already built a house of cards. Camping not only tricked thousands of followers into believing with certainty this day, but he tricked himself. He tricked himself and others into not only believing that it would happen on this day at this time, but he equated that to absolute truth. And we know on some level how he responded on May 22nd. He was distraught. He said he got the math wrong again. He said it would happen on September 21st, 2011. There weren't billboards for that day. I wonder why. Um, but after that came and went, he said, I have sinned. He said, I have failed to understand what it says in Matthew when it says no one will know the day and the hour. I have attempted to understand the day and the hour, and I didn't listen to people when they told me that that was not the case. He lost his radio show. Uh, he passed away a few years later. Uh, and you can tell in every interview that I read from him after the fact that this failure wrecked him. You can't blame him. You can't blame him. But how was it this May 21st thing was able to affect so many people? Why was it, like so many of our certainties, such a thing that affected us? And when it disappeared, there were so many people that were left distraught. I think on some level, it has to do with our understanding of God and our understanding of Jesus and our understanding of why we're in this place in the first place. Because so many of our songs of worship, right, if you stop and think about hymns for a minute, how often if the last verse of a hymn is going to talk about the fateful day when we meet Jesus, it's going to talk about the day when we fly away, it's going to talk about the day when we finally show up in heaven and meet God face to face. Whether it's talking about our own deaths or it's talking about Christ coming again. This song, the 21st of May, just like I'll fly away before it, don't just look forward to Christ coming again, however. There's an added excitement of leaving this place. Of uh, hitting the supernatural ejector seat button and flying to meet God in the sky. So much of the Christian narrative has become about the excitement of the concept of the rapture, the excitement of God taking God's people out of the world. 
sending us all to heaven and then inciting God's wrath on the leftovers. This can either be explicit in things like the Left Behind books or more implicit in songs like This World Is Not My Home. I grew up in the middle of this line of thinking with folks saying um, there was a whole Facebook group. Right when Facebook first installed groups in like 2006, I remember seeing this Facebook group. It's full of girls that just said, I just hope I can get married before the rapture. That was the name of the Facebook group. <laughs> and I remember a pastor saying, if the Lord tarries his coming, we will be having a potluck next Wednesday. <laughs> but not only is the scriptural evidence of this line of thinking strained to say the least, but it also leads to a damaging understanding of why we're here. When we let ourselves get so focused on what comes after this life, when we let ourselves get so focused on the idea of one day we will leave and not have to worry about this place anymore. We give up on what God has for us now. We give up on what God has for us today in this time, in these bodies. We give up on the beauty of a dewy Sunday morning. We give up on the wonderful smell of a bonfire. We give up on the sounds of crickets. We give up on the smiles and the faces of those around us. We give up on the work that God still has us, has in store for us in this place, in this community at this time. It's so easy when traveling to see the journey as just a, a foretaste or rather an inconvenience towards the final destination. And that's understandable because there is something terrible about a car, especially a car that you're in for seven hours, especially a car that you're in for seven hours with a three-year-old. There are a lot of things to complain about, even more so an airplane. I tell you what, I'm one of those people who when I get in an airplane, I immediately feel like there is less air than there is in any other place. It's, that's not true. I, there's, my O2 levels have not dropped, but I suddenly feel... Even before the doors shut, a, a cramped, a kind of claustrophobia, if you will. And all I can wait for is for that trip to be over, for me to get to where I'm going. It's easy for us to see this world in that way if we let ourselves. But this is not an airplane fuselage. You are free to roam about the cabin. The bumpy car ride, the stuffy airplane seem like torture in comparison to the days that you can let yourself live, the days that you can let yourself see beauty in the world around you, the days that you can work for the glory of God. Of course, when things get rough, it's hard to see beauty in the small things. We can talk about escapism and I'll fly away and not talk about the fact that that song was written in 1929. It was published in 1932. And if you know your U.S. history, things got rough right about that time. It was depressing and it was great. <laughs> um, I have to imagine that the idea of leaving this place, leaving this world when there was no jobs, no money, and no food was a pretty, pretty endearing thought. I would have to imagine that's part of the reason that and the fact that it slaps, that it is the, the song that we all remember today. But the gospel tells us that we don't find our hope in leaving. We find our hope in redemption, in the work of making something broken 
new again. We have this hope because God's done it to us and for us and in us. And sometimes, if we're lucky, God does it through us. We have a hope not because we get to leave, but because God's chosen to stay. In Revelation 21, basically the last page of this book that we hold so dear, the culmination of John's letter to his church, it ends with not with God's people living this world in the middle of the night as everything goes down in flames, but rather God comes down to live with us again. Everything is made new. John hears a voice saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. When we get in the mindset of waiting for Jesus to come again because we're tired of this place and not understanding why we live this life here before some time away in paradise, we fail to see the beauty God sees in this place. We desire to be with God so much that we fail to see the image of God in our neighbor. We shortchange God by saying that the place God wants to dwell with us isn't all that great of a place to begin with. So today, my challenge for each of you is to stop and smell the roses. Look at creation and find joy. Look in yourself and find joy. Because God already finds joy there. Sit in Sunday school, your workplace tomorrow, or even in your own house, and see the face of Jesus in your fellow humans. The work of the divine is all around us and at work within us. May we praise the God of mystery and the God of light and never stop looking for the bright spots in our world. Let us pray.